Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special, if very regular, but still very special, Sunday mailbag edition. I will work on some other introduction on that one, but it's been so long, I'm going to find it very, very hard to let it go. In any case, me, I'm being Scott Phillips. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of The Motley Fool and my former colleague and still good friend and now returning to the role, as he has for the past couple of months, of podcast co-host Andrew Page from Strawman. Andrew, how are you, mate? Good, good. I'm exceptionally... Well, uh, yeah, we are pre-recording this one. It's freezing cold at my place. Uh, you know, I'm happy to be inside, put it that way. <laughs> Much for the warm weather than the, the cold weather. It's, it's literally... Uh, it's four degrees now. It's warmed up. Uh, it was minus three overnight at my, my place. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Uh, and it's raining, so you know it's it's a lovely day to be outside. It's it's uh, you know what it's so it's so easy to get caught up with all the good stuff we have these days with technology and everything else. Sometimes it's just nice to be reminded that just having a roof over your head is a real blessing and something that well, frankly, you know, people didn't have for thousands of years. So we're we're pretty bloody lucky, just quietly. Yeah, I have to say it's uh, I I don't mind cold rainy days. I, I love I love being inside in my UGG boots. A good day a good day to do some stock research. Hey, I think there there's uh, or record a podcast or two or record a podcast, whatever the case may. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, let's get on with it because we've got a heap of stuff. I've been calling out for weeks for podcast questions. Um, these are going to be pre-recorded mailbag episodes for the next few weeks. Uh, so we're going to get into it, start to share these podcast questions with our listeners. We've got heaps. Thank you so much to those who've sent them in. Please do keep sending them in, by the way, even while we're away because, as I said last time, if I come back and there's nothing in the podcast queue, then there's no mailbag episode. So please make sure you throw us something because we'd hate to miss an episode. Let's go with the first one from Gary. Mate. He says, hi, Scott. Thanks for answering my quick previous question. You're welcome, Gary. I have another one for you. In my brokerage account, you can look at sales activity for the day for individual companies. Some of them, I see sales for very low number of stocks, even one or two shares traded for companies who have a share price under a dollar. Some companies I've looked at don't pay dividends, so they're not DRP allocations or dividend reinvestment plan allocations. So my question is, who is buying or selling one or two shares at these low values? As a retailer investor, he says, I am limited to a $500 minimum. Ram, who is buying one or two shares for a buck? Computers. Computers are buying one or two shares, um, so it's 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 algorithmic traders, right? So, so we've really they, been taken over by computers. The Borg is here, isn't that the current? I forget the trade their behalf. I forget the exact figure, and it, it comes from the New York Stock Exchange. Although I'm sure it's of the same caliber here, but some <laughs> crazy percentage of of total trades on the market each day are done algorithmically by by machines. Mm, mm. Um, I want to say something like like when I say a lot, like I forty percent or something like that. Yeah. So you have these; they're, they're all they're all doing their own thing um, for whatever the strategy might be. But yeah, they're 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 computers, and yeah. it actually worries. I mean, when it first happened, there was quite a bit of concern over all of this. There still I remember, is, actually, to, to yeah, some yeah. extent. You know, what does it what does it mean, and the rest yep. of it. Yep. Never lost it. Never never lost a moment's sleep over <laughs> that personally. Um, uh, the, the potential I think people worry about is that, you know, computer, it's like when we had the flash crash a few years ago, remember? It's like all the That's right. algorithms started selling for some particular reason and because they all take their signals from each other and they all saw a sell signal and they all That's sold, right. you know, whatever it was. And it sort of, yep, yep, it gets yep. really worried because people go, wow, it's really distorting markets here. And there's definitely that potential to do that. So let's just, let's guess, just um, spell it out a little bit before you keep going. So basically what happened yep. was... Um, Computers, it, it, this is the, it's almost like the dark ages, right? So the very early days of algorithmic trading, 
we had a lot of people who programmed the computer said, look, if the shares fall, sell your shares. Because if uh, maybe they'll keep falling. So you want to get out before they fall further. And that's that's you know, people talk about stop losses, we're not gonna get into that, but that was what they that's what they did. So okay, sell 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 shares, uh, sell your shares if the shares share price falls. Great. The problem was if you then have another computer that says if the shares fall, keep selling. And the other mm. computer says if the shares fall, keep selling. Now, a normal investor would say, hang on, if the shares fall ten percent, I want to sell. Well, hang on, now they're down forty percent, they haven't been paying attention, I'm not gonna sell at that price, that's just crazy. But the computer mm. just kept selling because the programs were already preloaded and they didn't know any better, so they just kept selling because the share price kept falling. Yeah. And so they, they were to some degree creating their own vicious circle without really knowing it because they're not that smart. They were just dumb machines following pre-programmed decision-making. And that was yeah. what caused the flash crash, right? Yeah, and it could happen again. And I think to greater or lesser degrees, it does happen on a semi-regular basis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do you need to be worried about it? I think if you're a, a day trader, potentially, that, that's something that you might might upset you. But I mean, you mm-hmm. look at I look at the market as the same way I look at the fish market or yeah. the market yeah. for socks or whatever. It's just like, I don't have mm-hmm. to participate in it. I make, What I'm buying is actually a piece of a company. And if on a particular day, certain uh, market participants, whether they be flesh and blood or whether they be silicon based, <laughs> you, you know, I don't have to engage with that. And right, right, you, right. Uh, so, so it doesn't really, I, I've never bought a share on the expectation that on a particular day or week, it's going to do a, a certain thing. In yeah, exactly. fact, some of these things actually lead to some really good opportunities because things just go down for reasons that have got nothing to do with the long-term earnings capacity of a business whatsoever. Right. So it's just like, even if I own the stock, no one likes to see their stocks go down. But hey, if I wasn't thinking of selling anyway and I thought they were good value before and I've got a bit of extra cash, hey, bring it on, I'll buy. You know, Buffett talks about the analogy of Mr. Marco, this sort of crazy guy who knocks on your door every day and sometimes he's in a good mood sometimes he's in a bad mood and you know most days you just slam the door in his face um it's mm-hmm. like it's, it's 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 not what i want to do but sometimes he'll offer you a stonking bargain and other times he'll offer you give you an offer that's too good to refuse if you want to sell so yeah. i think i think if you take that view and i think that's the really only sensible view to, to take as as a as a someone who invests in equities it's it's not something to really particularly worry about. It is it is it it does seem I can totally understand, um, you know what what Gary's saying here because it does look yeah, really yeah. odd when you see these things Doesn't in the market <laughs> depth and like what yeah. is going on. Yeah. But even without that, it's always even if you take computers out of the equation, there are humans who are completely capable of doing some really strange things anyway. Mm, so it's mm, inferring mm. the meaning behind that and inferring. It's it's just too hard for for me. I don't know how you absolutely ever understand what what that is, and so I don't. I just look at through through the lens of someone's knocking on my door today, offering me a, an opportunity to buy or sell at a given price. Do I want to participate? Ninety nine percent of the time, I don't. <laughs> and and if, if this is if this is if adding to that, well, so be it. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's important to remember too that in Buffett's analogy, Mr. Market is what was then called manic depressive, um, and we know that mental illness probably shouldn't be stigmatized in the same way. But but in the in the context of the analogy, um, the idea is that we know, or, or that the in the analogy, you know that Mr. Market is not thinking clearly, and so it's really really important that if Mr. Market knocks on your door, if he says, "Hey, I'll give you," I'll give, yeah, say this year's worth forty dollars yesterday. You walk talk, knocks on this morning, says, "Hey, I'll give you th- I'll, I'll give you thirty bucks for him." You're not going to say, "Oh, wow." That must be what the mark, what the price shares are worth, because that's what the market's selling me. You know yeah. for a fact that Mister Market is not necessarily thinking straight, and so you're, as Buffett says, free to ignore him if you want. And I think that's the prop, that's the mistake most people make is assuming that if the shares have fallen from forty to thirty, well, there must be a reason. So I better get out because something's obviously wrong. 
Now, sometimes mm-hmm. there is, by the way. Sometimes there are reasons that shares fall. And sometimes yeah. it is worth reevaluating your investment case and saying, well, I thought they were worth 40, but man, they've just reported the fact that, you know, that their, their top 85 executives have been indicted for, you know, money laundering or fraud. Okay, that's probably worth less now. If it's yeah. a case of, well, because inflation was 0.1% higher in the US overnight than we thought it was going to be, so she's down 6%. You probably, it's, unless unless you're a heavily heavily indebted business or you're, they were making bets on inflation, it's fair to say you know what that's probably an overreaction. That's the Mister Market who's not thinking straight, who's saying, "Hey, I'll give you thirty bucks." You're like, "Well, no, go away. I'm not going to take that." Now, mm-hmm. if he comes to your table and says, "I'll give you sixty bucks," you might go, "Well, gee, I thought they were worth forty-five or fifty. That's why I hold them at forty. But gee, if you give me sixty, I'll take the money." Um, yeah. That's completely reasonable. I think that's the that's the approach you should take. One of my favorite sayings on the market is that the market is there to serve, not inform. And yeah. I think it's I think it's so powerful because it, it, it really is. It's 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 a mechanism. It, it's just yeah. it's 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 a facility that is there to facilitate uh, people to to come together and swap cash for shares in whatever way manner they see fit or is 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 appropriate. That, that and yeah. people will be doing it for all kinds of different reasons. We're all buying and selling the same shares, but yeah, a lot right. of people are doing it for very 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 different reasons. So, you know, you 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 treat it that way. It's not there to tell you what's going on. It's there it, yeah. it's there to serve you when you want to participate in it. So, nice. you know, last week we talked about Brickworks and the incredible long-term compounding uh, advantages that. I mean, how many times has there been a, a construction slowdown or a recession mm-hmm. or a reason to sort of sell those 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 shares? And if yeah, you took so. a, a, a bit of, a, you know, a share price slump, a bit of volatility as a signal every time, you're jumping at every single shadow that comes along and you're completely, nice. you know, removing yourself from the potential of any long-term compounding. So, yeah. Yep. It's 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 there to serve. It's not there to inform. Love it. And there you go, guys. That's why there's one or two shares. I will say, by the way, just a quick uh, addition to the answer specifically is occasionally those algorithms are fishing. So they will they're looking for a bite, right? They're looking to see whether someone will offer them shares at a given price. Mm. And so they're not necessarily one computer with one share selling another computer with one share. Sometimes that happens, by the way. But often because investors and they, you know, let's be really clear, they are trying to take advantage of us as as mm. non-computer investors. Now they don't. We don't have to worry about it, as Andrew said, because if you don't like the price, don't buy. If you don't like the price, don't sell. So there's nothing that, that they can only get to you if you let them. If you tr- if you choose to play their game, people say, you know, why should I day trade? Because you're trading as computers. Like, man, do you reckon you're smarter than the computers? Because if you do, mm. knock yourself out. But I'll tell you what, most of us aren't because we don't. We're not capable of being as fast, as smart, as quick as planned, as programmed, as unemotional. So don't day trade, that's just dumb. But um, in this case, they might want to because they're fishing. They're saying, well, if I buy just one share at this price, I wonder if more shares will be offered to me at the same price. Or if I yeah. sell at this price, I wonder if more shares will be offered to me at the same price. They're trying to test the market. That, that's why they do it, if, you, if you're wondering. Um, yeah. Generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, that's what's behind it. Yeah. All right. Yep. Question from Wacker, mate. He says, uh, guys, one for the mailbag. What are your thoughts on investing in REITs given the risk of increasing inflation. Now, when he first said thoughts on investing in REITs, I thought, I know the answer to that. Then he said, given inflation, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. What would you say to Wacker, mate? What are, your, what are your thoughts on investing in REITs given the risk of rising inflation? Well, I'll take the first part of it. REITs aren't a place I normally go to, these real estate investment Actually, trusts. Yeah, I was going to say that. Great. So what's a real estate investment trust, mate? So a real estate investment trust, it's, it's not a corporate structure, it's a trust structure. So you don't mm-hmm. get franking credits. It's just a different, it's just different, it, the, the tax consequences are passed pass through to, to the unit holders. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a different uh, economic structure, I suppose. And, and what are some that, examples of REITs? What, if, if someone was going to say, well, hang on, what, what would a REIT look like or be like? What am I buying when I buy a REIT? 
You're buying a bunch of real estate, usually shopping centers or industrial properties or commercial properties, uh, th- these kinds of things. Right. And they're often, I mean, it get, we could get right into the weeds. You often have stapled structures. Please Look, at the end of the day, all you, all you need to know is you're actually buying <laughs> real real properties here. Yes. And, that is, and they are managed by a management team that will seek to make sure that there are tenants in there, that they look after the ongoing capital investment requirements, you know, make sure the properties are, are looked after, make sure that there's more developments and just trying to maximise the, the you, know, you make your money ultimately through through the rental income that these assets are, are generating and that gets passed right. through to you when some of it is, is retained to buy to buy more properties. So um, something like, say, Centre Group, for example, that owns the Westfield Shopping Centres in Australia and New Zealand is an example of a real estate investment trust and if you buy yep. units, they're not actually shares because it's a trust, but, you know, the, the language isn't necessarily necessarily important but if you buy shares or units in a real estate investment trust you are buying a part ownership in all the Westfield shopping centres in Australia and New Zealand for example or in a bunch of office properties or some bulky goods retail or some warehouses something like that yeah yep so what does inflation have to do with that? Well, this is really interesting. What's love but a secondhand emotion, Andrew? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I guess what Wacker's getting at here is that with with uh, higher inflation, uh, mm. obviously that means higher prices, which mm. potentially means higher rents that can be charged. So it's kind of that there is an argument that these can be sort of inflation-proof to some mm. extent, mm. because prices sort of get get passed mm. through. If all your tenants are making more money, you can afford to charge them more in in rent. So, although inflation mm-hmm. might be a thing that is offset well, by by a very virtue of higher prices, you're able to charge higher rents, and therefore you're you're protected to some degree. I, I, I think yeah. that's what what Wack is probably getting at. Is that are you are you keener, less keen? Are you interested? Are you not interested? How would you would you buy? A REIT, uh, given the risk of increasing inflation? I think there's a there's always a time to buy uh, a REIT. It's just that traditionally they, they, they are lower growth kind of assets. Mm. Mm. And there are some exceptions here, but usually when you look around, the long-term retu- returns aren't fantastic. They're not terrible. But they're very, mm. they're, they tend to be quite low risk. More mm. in Well, there are exceptions when there's very high debt levels involved, but... But they 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 they're, they're perfectly fine, and particularly if you've got an income focus, I've I've got no great problem with. They're just not my bag, um, for yeah. that reason. Does does uh, the potential for higher inflation make it more attractive? Not not particularly, and because the other dimension to it, as we've often talked about on this podcast, is that with higher inflation comes higher rates, which means higher interest burden costs for these rates, and a lot of them are mm-hmm. leveraged to 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 some degree. Um, and it's also okay, we talk about getting into the weeds. A lot of these valuations for the properties <laughs> are determined by capitalization rates, uh, which is just basically taking you know what is a reasonable yield to have. We get this much income, therefore the property is worth this much. So that's going to that's going to factor into it as well under a higher rate mm-hmm. environment. So it's kind mm-hmm. of wheels within wheels kind of stuff. So yeah. It, it, it's one of those things that I totally see what Wack is getting at, but it doesn't it doesn't change the calculus too much for me. What do you think? Nice. Um, I. Look, I think I think it kind of depends on... So, like everything, they're relative questions, right? So, it's what, will REITs do okay in increasing inflation? Generally speaking, yes. Because inflation tends to push rents up and it tends to push property prices up. And if your business is leveraged to rent and property prices, well, guess what? You'll probably do okay. 
So it's probably not a negative to have rising inflation. It's probably a, it's probably a net positive overall. Mm. The there's a couple of questions that come with it. Though. The first is what about any debt you carry? Because if inflation mm. comes with higher interest rates or vice versa, then it's very possible that. So for example, if um, I'll take I'll step outside REITs for a second because it's just easier. Transurban, the, the toll road company, has a has its a lot of its tolls linked to inflation. Now, if inflation goes up, it gets to charge more for its tolls, so that's a net positive. But of course, Transurban has a eye-watering amount of debt, and if interest rates go up <clears throat> meaningfully, while your cost of yeah, yeah, inf- inflation might go up three percent, so you get three percent more tolls. But if interest rates rise from let's say they're paying two percent now, let's say they go to three percent, well, hang on, your debt's fifty percent more expensive because mm. it's now three percent rather than two percent, but your revenue's gone up three percent. So you can see you've got a 3% increase in revenue, but a 50% increase in debt cost, for example, not the only cost, but it's a large cost. You can mm. see how that would potentially make the business a lower quality P&L, right? Just, it, it pushes costs up faster than sales. That hurts. Yeah. So if you bring yeah. it back to the property example, it's possible that if they also have the same situation, because rates are so, interest rates are so low right now, it's possible that rising inflation comes with rate increases that actually swamp that inflation. So I'm not sure if we had 6% interest rates that went up to 6.5% and inflation that went from 3 to 4 Net, net, you're probably better off. But because we've got interest rates at, you know, a couple of percentage points, maybe the business paying three, maybe 4%. If they go up by 1%, that's 25% increase. You're not going to get that increase in, in revenue. So I would be a little bit, I would be a little bit careful about assuming that the past circumstances will apply again. Uh, again, work's not saying they will necessarily, but just be a little bit careful there. The other thing I would say about REITs is that's a general market view. I'm a little bit, a little bit cautious on REITs at the moment because... I think the changes to how we might work, i.e. more working from home, and how we might shop, i.e. more shopping from home, not going out to the shops, will actually put pressure on some REITs. If you're a second tier retail REIT, or you're an office REIT, um, I'm not entirely sure I feel great about your ability to retain tenancies, and that's gonna be a far, far bigger impact than inflation. So all else being equal, (laughs) rising inflation is good, but all else is rarely equal, both in terms of cyclically, in other words, interest rates, or structurally, in terms of occupancy or vacancy rates. And you want to be a little bit careful there. I wouldn't buy REITs to try and hedge against inflation, personally. Um, I think I'd rather go for companies that have pricing power. If you can increase your prices with inflation, you're probably going to at least keep your shareholders roughly whole, maybe even make them a few bob. Um, I'd go there rather than go for REITs. I'm just not a big fan of the REIT sector in general. Yeah, that's, that's well put, mate. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's a question of degree, isn't it? So it's like, and even even with everything being equal, is that enough mm-hmm. in and of itself to right, exactly. to to swing it from something that's ho hum to something that's <laughs> yeah. that's that's attractive? And yep. also, has the market? You've always got to ask, you know, has the market itself not already uh, accounted mm-hmm. for this in some way? Because there's lots of smart investment bankers and brokers and they're having those kinds of thoughts anyway yeah, and yeah. making that kind yeah, of play. Right. So it, it's, it's, yeah. it's really difficult. Um, so yeah, for me, it, it, it doesn't, I, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to say don't invest in REITs just cause I don't, that just happens to be me. It, and we've, we've yeah. spoken before about with investing, you know, one of the most important things is to know thyself. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so if, if, if it is your bag, then absolutely do it. It's a, it's a, it's a really nice, generally speaking, reliable kind of, uh, income stream, but yeah, that's, it's with a potential of high inflation is not going to swing me uh, towards that away from the other alternatives that are on the ASX. Nice. Question from Dana or Dana. I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, Dana or Dana. So if I've done it okay, then <laughs> then you're welcome. If I've done it badly, I apologise. I'm going to assume it's Dana. Let's go with Dana. Scott, first a bit of background. As a teenager, I lived in Australia near Tumut in New South Wales. 
And for me, listening to you, Andrew, and Anir Barn is and was relaxing and educational. Must be the accent or something. One of the recent podcasts dealt with inflation. Here you go. And your comments removed some of the anxiety. Not that there was much, but the market did have a drop and the doom and gloom crowd was out. Thank you for the commentary. I'm a Motley Fool member in the US and have been from 2007. It has been really good and my retirement should be fairly sound. Could it have been better? Oh yes, there was the opportunity and money to buy Amazon at $20 a share. At the time I was working for a small company and knew how much shipping cost and I didn't understand how free shipping was going to work. Unfortunately, I also didn't understand how much impact AWS would have. That's Amazon Web Services. For the most part, I would buy the ShareAdvisor recommended stocks. Unfortunately, at that time, there were design projects that suck up a lot of my time and energy, so I didn't notice some of the growth and did not buy it as the stock went up. The latest podcast, says Dana, the, and we called this one, the title was Back the Bloke with a Chip on His Shoulder. It was our talk about uh, some of the uh, benefits of following founder owners, particularly the one guy that on the AFR Rich List, um, who basically was trying to get back at everyone who said he couldn't do it, which I was saying is a, is a good thing. If you've got a chip on your shoulder, that's a good idea. Uh, Dana says, the latest podcast was very interesting, specifically about the personalities in the executive suite. I have Tesla, and I don't have a problem with Elon Musk. He may be a bit of a douche, but his contribution to society has the possibility of being huge. I owned Facebook for a while, but sold because Zuckerberg has no ethics. Will Facebook have a positive impact? Somehow it's doubtful. Philip Morris, does it make money? Certainly, but I have a problem with the ethics of that one. These are public companies, so at least we can see something of what their executives are like. Sorry about the last rambling bit. You guys do a good job, and I, for one, appreciate your efforts. Thanks from Dana. Thank you, Dana. It's really kind of you to... to um, to write in, I, I missed Amazon for a long, long, long way up. I think I might have bought it maybe at 300 bucks eventually. I was uh, very, very late to the party as well, but eventually got there. Um, good point there. Probably better late than never, right, Ram? It's one of those things to, um, you, you miss it on the way through, but it doesn't mean you, you have to stop buying just because it's missed a price or has gone up from the first price you thought about a stock. Yeah, I always think about two things with, with that uh, conundrum because the would have, could have, should have is very powerful in all of us and we all do look and think, oh, man, because it does, it does seem much more obvious <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in hindsight. Um, yep, yep. Two, two things on, on that. The, the first is one that you've touched on. Um, you, you can still buy a company, a very good quality mm, company mm. that's increased a lot in its share price and still do very well. So, you know, yeah. a stock that's gone from 10 to $100, yeah, it would have been great to get in at 10 But even if you got in at mm. 80 that's still a mm. 25% increase from there. So it's always about yeah. looking forward, not looking backwards. Mm, um, uh the just a quick segue on that just because something's going up doesn't mean it's always going to go up by the way yeah, so you've got to have exactly. some some independent exactly. view of value and still <laughs> see that there is value there but just don't yep. don't anchor on what what could have been yep. um the other thing that i always think too of is that in the year 2035 we will look back and we'll be saying the same thing about another company. In fact, we'll be saying the same thing about many other companies. Like, oh yeah, right. man, imagine in 2021, <laughs> I could have bought XYZ at, at whatever yeah, a share. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The, the, the great thing about the market is there's always opportunity and it's yeah. never clear. It's never obvious, but it's always it, it's it's always frustrating to feel as though you've missed out. But opportunity is is springing up all of the time, mm, and the mm, people who are mm, going to mm. do do the best are the people who are going to yeah certainly spot it early. That's that's a big part of it. But you don't have to be the earliest, mm. and you also need to be the kind of person that's actually going to see that through. I mean, how we've talked about this plenty of times before. How many people did buy Amazon at twenty bucks a share correct, correct. and then sold out at forty or sixty or a hundred, thinking yep. that they were a, that they were a genius uh, as yeah. well? So none of these long term multi bagger returns come without 
a bunch of volatility and a bunch of sleepless nights <laughs> yeah, and all of that, all right. of that other kind of stuff. That's but it's right, kind of like right. you're only going to get those big wins if you're if you're still around to to, yeah. to enjoy the benefits. So, yeah, yeah, um, some good comments there. I like that. Very good. Thank you, mate. Um, I just want from to Dana, to not a- not from myself. I'm not patting myself on the back, by the way. Just to be- <laughs> <laughs> great like comments, Andrew. Like great comments. Right. <laughs> here's a um, here's a question from Damien. Hello, esteemed fools. That's nice. Um, super podcast. Really, really enjoyed your never sell discussion. My regrets are also selling rather than holding too long. Yeah. The version I've read about is from a book you recommended last year, 100 Baggers, in which the husband bought the same shares as his wife did based on her broker's advice, but unlike her, he never sold. A bunch of stocks went broke, but a few became 100 baggers and vastly outperformed her actively managed approach. It was only discovered when he died and they saw the stocks. Not that I'm telling you anything, but they called it the coffee can approach as per the old Wild West savings approach. I have one question, if I may, about smaller caps and sector headwinds. I hold OpenPay, which has dropped since buying and is digesting a capital raising. My question is that as a minor buy now, pay later player, is that just surfing the afterpay and zip trend? And so I may as well hold them or will it be able to set its own share price direction through the sector space and trend? Thanks in advance from Damien. Mm. What are your thoughts, mate? Uh, it's always the same question <laughs> that you need to ask yourself yep. here. I, I know we're just repeating repeating ourselves to some extent, mm-hmm. but it's sort of like what has happened or what this particular company means in regard to Afterpay mm-hmm. and Zip mm-hmm. and their share price trajectory in recent times is not, not the right question. And I know that's not Damien's exact question, but yep. it, it's always a question of, well, whatever it's happened, it's gone up or it's down. Do I think OpenPay... It's like one, one, one other step backwards. Mm-hmm. What will determine shareholder success is the business success. So if mm-hmm. they continue to or manage to to grow their cash flows very strongly, because there's there's right. even with even with the pull, pullback in price, there's still a bit of expectation that's pulled into there. You'll do mm-hmm. perfectly well. So that's that's the question to ask. Do you still mm-hmm. hold that that opinion? Um, the opinion might be actually I don't know, in which case that tells you something very informative <laughs> yeah. as as well. But that's 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 the question: whether or not there is a sentimental factor at play, which there most definitely is. And Damien's mm. right to point mm. that out. BNPL is very sort of sexy and hot, or at least it was there for for a very one. That is that is definitely going to be the dominant factor of share price uh, direction in in the short term. It's just it's completely overwhelmed by business performance in the longer term. So that's that's where my focus always lies. I don't have a strong view on open pay. I think mm. I think there's a lot of uh, the BNPL space I think is a very exciting one. I think we will see some players that are much bigger tomorrow than they are today, but I also think a, there is there is it's such a crowded space. I don't think the market can support these dozens and dozens and dozens of players at scale. So I think mm. there'll be some small fortunes made over the long term. But I think that that will be very concentrated in a few eventual winners and there'll be a lot of losers there. So the question is, is, is OpenPay going to be one of those ones that, that, that when the dust settles is one of those winners and starts actually mm-hmm. justifying their, their valuations through just incredible cash flows? That's the question. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's a good one, isn't it? I mean, I think, I think you're right. Uh, the, only, the only Look, I think, you, so you're dead right. The only addition I'll probably add is there's a chance for OpenPay to be part of that future, even if not under its own steam as part of something else, if there is some sort of consolidation timeframe. So it's entirely possible, even if there's only two or three, and OpenPay is not one of those final two or three, 
it may well be part of one of those two or three of us get bought out at some future time, right? So there is, and not that I, I would never invest based on the chance of a buyout, but I guess I'm just thinking about, you don't necessarily need to know now which one's the final winner. Mm-hmm. But I would say the one that's going to be the final winner has a much higher probability of success because maybe you get bought out or maybe you go broke. And if you're making those binary bets on a smaller sort of second tier, third tier player, it's a much, much tougher way to make a quid than, than to buy after hours zip. Now, the only thing I would add to that is they're often at different valuations. And so it's entirely possible. I, I'm trying to think of an analogous example. If I, if I could buy two retailers, one was at 40 times earnings, one was at eight times earnings. Even if the 40 times earnings was a better retailer, I don't think I would buy the 40 times earnings company just to make money out of retail if it, unless it was going to grow at phenomenal rates but it's not going to right so I guess I just make that point that you know there, there are over the longest period of time buying the winner is probably going to give you better results than buying the loser because if the loser loses everything then it doesn't matter what price you pay right even, even eight times earnings would be too expensive for a business that finally goes broke but there's probably something in between um, mm. Damien I, I think in the in the medium term mate the, 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 the rising or falling tide is going to lift or lower all boats and so while ever sentiment remains really, really hot in this sector, sentiment is going to matter far, far more than the underlying fundamentals, unfortunately. And you just need to be aware of that, um, which means to some degree, unless you're going to hold for the really long term, I wouldn't hold it all because you are betting on sentiment. If you think the shares are now $5 are going to go to 10 because why? Because the market likes it twice as much. Is kind of, you know, you're speculating on what the future sentiment might look like. If you think in 10 years' time it's worth $40 because it's got a business model and an operating strategy and a customer base and something special about its tech or its marketing or its brand or something that makes it or the business model that makes it better, then by all means, go for it. Uh, but unless you're going to hold for the really, really long term, it's a far, far big, better bet that sentiment's going to impact your share price far, far more than the fundamentals. And you just have to know that's likely and either choose to either stay on the ride or get off the ride I don't ever buy stocks for sentiment. Um, doesn't mean my stocks aren't impacted by sentiment, but I'm not looking for, it might double if more people like it next year. I'm looking for, I think it's worth five times the price in 10 years time. And that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the starting point. So, but the more sentiment there is, the longer your time horizon ironically needs to be because you need to let sentiment wash out of that company over, over a long period of time. Yep. Fair to say? Definitely, 100%. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Question from Andrew, mate. Hi, Scott and Ram. I've got a question for the podcast, which as a shift worker, paramedic, who has been working through the pandemic, offers me a couple of hours during my days off to only educate myself on how to create future wealth for me and my family, but act as a distraction from the doom and gloom of our society at large. I've only been investing for about 12 months, but we all have to start somewhere. And I wasn't brave enough to get into it when the market crashed in March last year. Experience tells me it's never a good idea to try and catch the literal or figurative falling knife. Ha ha. I guess the paramedic is probably dealt with falling knives, unfortunately. Um, Andrew says, anyway, I have a savings account with approximately 15 grand in it, in which I add to periodically to create passive wealth. And Scott, as you're a fan of the classic, the market averages 7% to 10% a year annual return, spiel. Oh, thank you, I think. I was Rant. wondering what you thought. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Cliche, boring, bloody. Anyway, Andrew says, I was wondering what you thought about the idea of investing that sum and future funds into an indexed ETF which tracks the market, giving the sum a theoretical 7% return compounded compared to the paltry 2.3% interest rate from the bank. I know, I know, general advice only, but I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this strategy. Thanks, guys. Andrew. Mate, I'll grab this one first because I've thrown you under the bus the last couple of times. Um, Go for it. Andrew, I think that it's a fantastic idea as long as you know what the money's being used for. 
If the savings account is genuinely for retirement or for some future need that's more than five years into the future, then I think you will, on average, do much, much better. We can't tell what you should do, but the average investor will do much, much better being in shares than being in cash. Now, there are five-year periods where the share market goes backwards. So if you're saying, I'm going to buy something in 2024 with that money, I would say leave it in the bank and you're going to have to just suck up the 2.3%. If you're saying, I've got 10, 15, 20, you're a young bloke, let's say you've got 40 years till retirement and I'm going to leave it till retirement, then I'm saying be in an ETF, absolutely. I think it's a, there's no good reason not to, right? I mean, there's risk, absolutely, so let's be clear. Cash in the bank is largely government guaranteed as long as it's a government guaranteed savings account. So there is risk that you might lose some or all of it if you invest in shares. I think it's remarkably unlikely. It's never been done in history. Over a 10-year period, the ASX has lost money and over an extended periods of time has always made money. Um, I think it would be remarkably, remarkably unlucky and unlikely for you to lose money. So I, I would happily, if you're asking me what I would do in this situation, if I was you in your circumstances, if I had 15 grand and 40 years to retirement, I would absolutely put it in index ETF and I would add to it regularly. But if it's a savings account you want to tap for a rainy day account, if the car blows up, the fridge breaks down, you want to go on a holiday, then shares are not the place for you no matter what the difference in potential returns. Yep. Ram, what do you think? Yep, same same as so Andrew says he's 25 so he's over his investing and working career he he's going to experience multiple share market crashes yep. um, and, and 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 many more corrections of sort of, sort of of the quantum of sort of 20% pullbacks along the way it, it's just going to happen but as you say yep. it's it's either either society really takes goes pear shape <laughs> or yep. Yep. or or it's much much higher in the future and that that is that is your that is the advantage you have. Older people have the advantage yep. of having more savings, but they don't have as yep. much time to put that to work. Younger people don't have as much savings, but they have a hell of a lot of time. And we've we've said this before, open up a spreadsheet, put your 15K in that, grow up by yep. 7% per year and just drag that column down. See see yep. what see what it does. And then if you really want to get exciting, um, not only just do that, but each year add one or two K or whatever you think you're capable yeah. of saving as well. And just, just watch that exponential curve emerge. So it's well, one thing you might want to do um, is as well is that, I mean, yeah, I think that, that just popping it all in there in a broad-based, low-cost ETF is is, is is nothing wrong with that at, at, at all. If you mm. were, and I'm not saying you should be, but if you were particularly worried about anything in mm. particular mm. happening in the next few years, you could always say, well, look, I'm going to put I'm going to put five grand in today. I'm going to put five grand in in another six months. I'm going to put five grand in or however you want to break it up just to get a bit of a dollar cost averaging effect, just to remove some of that timing component. But again, yeah. that being said, over a 40-year period, timing is, is not nothing you need to worry about. Yep, I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, just because I like to do this for fun, um, Andrew, I'm going, to, I'm going to ram, I'm going to grab Andrew's question. I'll separate you to the two Andrews here. Um, you're, you're 25, currently retiring age of 67. You know why I love that? Because that's 42 years. You know what I love about that? Because if you can average 10% a year over 42 years, you double your money every seven years and 42 divides nicely or seven divides nicely into 42. So that's six times it might double if you get 10%. You may not, so let's not over-egg it, but let's let's just say you might get 10%. It might double six times. Do the maths with everybody. The first time it goes from 30, 50, 15 to 30. Next time to 60. Next time 120. Then 240. Then 480. Then nine hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Let's call it an effectively, even mill. Mm. Effectively, if Andrew can get ten percent, and you may not for a whole lot of reasons. So again, I need to be really clear, and it should be really clear that they, that's a that's an average guesstimate based on past history. But let's assume it might be right. Your fifteen thousand dollars in savings right now, Andrew, if you don't touch it, could make you a retirement millionaire. 
And as Andrew says, if you add more money to that regularly, I mean, man, you could double that one, that number easily. If you could put another, I don't Triple know, grand away, yeah, 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 really easily. Easy. You are, easy. You're on the path. You, you mentioned Ram, you know, some people, older people have more money, younger people have more time. If I had the choice, I would take the younger people with more time every single day of the week and twice on Sundays. Plus, it is just plus so you just, much more we'd just powerful. rather be... Be young, I guess. Young, as well, there is that. Yeah. There is. That. <laughs> no, but seriously, you, you you can't do at, at fifty five. You cannot do enough. You literally can't do enough to make up for the value of starting at twenty two or twenty five or twenty seven. You just there's not. I mean, I'm not don't discourage fifty five year olds. You can do plenty to add to your wealth, but you just can't. You can't add enough money to make up for the compounding of having another thirty years worth of, of time in front of you. So, um, Andrew, the only, the only thing I would say add to this is I know you're already doing it so you're the last person who needs to be told this but for you and everyone else listening please resist the urge to touch that money don't buy the new car frankly don't even put it in the house deposit unless you really really need to um, just do do everything you can to defend Put dig a moat around your bank account um, bur- burn the password I, I, whatever you need to do right um, so that you don't touch that money over the next 40 years and absolutely the, the other way by the way if we, if we did use the 2% interest rate that money doubles what every 30 years Andrew so you might mm. turn your 15 grand into 60 grand mm. if you're lucky in, mm. in the bank or you might get 960 outside it's just it's just worth worth hiring that alright let's move on to a question from Robert mm. exactly yeah massive chalk and cheese let's move on to a question from Robert mate hi Scott and Andrew thanks for your entertaining and informative podcast thank you mate I really enjoyed listening to Andrew again oh God, well, no one says, hey, Scott, you're great. Your doc was okay. Andrew's fine, but I really listen for you. It's all bloody, oh, Andrew's back. Andrew's back. <laughs> Swear to God. You people are sucks. Tell you Thanks, what. Thanks, Robert. Anyway, he says, I really appreciate both of your ideas and I'm subscribed to both The Motley Fool and Straw Man. Good man. Here's my question for the podcast. I know neither of you are part of the EO service, Extreme Opportunities, but I would like to hear your thoughts on the poor results over the past 12 months, as I'm sure other subscribers would. I bought a small amount in just about every recommendation and I'm presently almost 20% in the red. I understand to a degree, in brackets, how important it is to have a long-term view, but I'm finding holding onto these companies quite challenging. It is also now very difficult to have any confidence buying more recommendations. He's got a second question too, but I'll, we'll stick with that one for now. But I'm not going to ask you to talk to EO. I'm going to do that. Um, and then you can add any thoughts, feel free to disagree with me or, or agree as you as you might want to. Um, mm-hmm. First thing I would so, so Robert, look, first thing first, I'm biased, right? So I'm going to tell you why I think you should keep the faith. I might be wrong, either factually or uh, just straight up biased, right? So so really, honestly, I, I have skin in the game, not, not literal skin in the game, um, but, you know, reputational skin in the game. I, I think my colleagues are great people, smart people, capable people who are doing their best. So I'm going to be biased. I'm going to answer this question maybe as you, are, as you wanted me to, which is to give you a reason to hold on. Uh, but I'm not going to tell you, you know what, you're right, it sucks, move on, don't, don't, don't do it. Because I think... There is value in, in remaining as part of EO. I think there's value in buying more recommendations, or at least I believe there will be. No guarantees, no promises as ever, but I want you to hear that disclaimer up front because it clouds everything I'm about to say next, which is uh, the Extreme Opportunity Service is a higher risk service. They deliberately, selected, selectively take on more risk than the average bear, um, as in Yogi Bear, not bear as in bear market, you know, stock market bear. Anyway, <laughs> and, uh, and in doing so, they absolutely are likely to have a more volatile and a more extreme, hence the name, uh, share market performance. So their winners are likely to win more, their losers are likely to lose more. And I would say they're probably going to go through periods of winning more than average and losing more than average. 
um, because they are probably more, not leveraged in a debt sense, but leveraged in a risk sense or a volatility sense, probably a better way to put it, to the market. They are taking ideas that are either lower quality or earlier in their survival or um, are, are simply just, you know, um, lower probability but higher potential return shots. And so you should expect, in, if, if you, in any endeavor, if that was your approach, whether you're a private uh, venture investor, whether you're whoever, you're gonna, that, if that's the approach you're taking, you're going to expect bigger swings, more extreme outcomes. Second thing I'll say is that the last four months in particular, actually, hang on, eight months now, in particular, have been really, really, really tough for growth investors and for tech investors in, in specifically. I own shares in Kogan, as I mentioned before. Andrew, you then say? Drink. Drink. Um, <laughs> and they fell from 27-odd bucks in November of last year to around about 10 bucks, give or take, at the moment. Now, we're pre-recording this, so it could be 8 or 12 for all I know by the time it goes to air, but you know, either way, a long way down. Many, many, many other tech companies did the same because the announcement of the COVID vaccine literally turned the market on a dime at that point. And also, I hate the word rotation. I desperately hate it, but it's actually true in the sense that investors have kind of abandoned growth and tech en masse and gone towards cyclicals and air quotes, real businesses. So the banks are through the roof. The miners are through the roof. Um, the cyclical construction businesses through the roof. And a lot of that is actually genuinely people rotating or taking money from one sector, i.e. I'll sell my growth stocks and I'll buy some James Hardy or Boral or NAB or you know uh, BHP. And so if, you, if everyone sells one lot of stocks and buys another lot of stocks, the, the selling pressure and the pricing pressure, uh, buying pressure will do exactly what you expect. It'll push prices down because people are getting out. Um, and so they're not sort of being slow and patient and getting the best price because they want to be somewhere else. And when they jump into something else, they push it up because they're all rushing for the entrances in this case and pushing prices up. So that's been true across the market. EO is a microcosm of exactly that group of stocks. Um, in fact, the market is hitting new highs, but the tech stocks and many in the tech sector, look at Afterpay down from 140 bucks to, was under 90 at one point, Ram, I don't actually know what it is now. Um, that's, a, that's a good example. Kogan's another good example. Drink. Uh, and, uh, and there's plenty of others besides. So here's the thing. If you are, at, we talk about diversification all the time, right? EO is diversified by, by kind of operation or business unit or, or customer base or geography, but it is all or almost all tech, mostly tech. And they're going to, when, when everyone hates on tech, do badly. When everyone loves on tech, they're going to do spectacularly well. And I'm going to say, with all due respect to Kevin, who runs EO, um, they're not. They're not. They should probably shouldn't take the blame for the losses. They probably shouldn't take all the credit for the wins either. If if they're doing well, if everyone loves tech and EO goes up, well, you're just in the right place at the right time. What matters, as with all investing, is the long term. And I mentioned sentiment earlier, and it wasn't actually deliberately about this question because I had hadn't read far enough ahead, Robert. Um, but as I read, you know, think about sentiment it, again. Like I said before, if you're not if you're not going to if you're going to hold a company that is is driven by sentiment in the short to medium term, you've got to be there for the duration. Because either you get lucky and sentiment bids the price up to a stupid level and you, you buy and say thanks for it, you sell, you sell and say thanks very much, or it drives it down and you buy and say thanks very much. Um, but if you're a long-term holder, you're going to have these bouts of extreme volatility. Um, I know Motley Fool Pro, one of our other services, when it was first launched, it spent the best part of nine months just absolutely, so you were with us around at the time, I was, absolutely yeah. suffering, right? Absolutely suffering. And then as it came to its 12-month anniversary, like the month before, two months before, all of a sudden, tech turned on a dime. And by the time we get to 12 months, this thing was looking like it was absolutely coming up roses. It was doing spectacularly well. And Joe Mager, who ran it for us at the time, it wasn't, he wasn't responsible for the loss. He wasn't even responsible for the gains over, over that shorter period of time. 
Um, share market shares do what they do over short periods of time based on sentiment. And so it's a long way to answer the question, Robert, which is basically to kind of replicate an answer I gave before, which is this is sentiment. This is absolutely sentiment. None of the team at the Motley Fool buy stocks to make money in the first six months. Not because we wouldn't if we could, but because we can't and neither can anybody else. I, I am yet to be, I'm yet to be convinced that anybody can look at a share price and say in 12 months it will be X or in six months it will be Y because um, you can't know what sentiment's going to do. You just can't know. So they're buying shares in companies they expect to be much bigger and better on average in three, five and 10 years from now. The last eight months sucks badly. I get it. I really do. Um, I own, I said, Kogan Drink and others um, that, have, that have really been hurt by the tech fall. But also, by the way, I've, I've been lucky. The business like Sol Pats or Berkshire in the US that I own have done really well the last six months. Um, again, not because I knew it was going to happen. And I don't feel, I don't feel smart because the shares have gone up over the last six months. It's happened because you know the market has simply changed its emphasis and focus. And in the short term, that will happen. So that's my answer. Uh, Ram, you, I, I don't know if you want to just simply avoid answering. You can give a, a view. You can disagree with me. You can agree with me, whatever you want to do. I uh, don't expect you to answer for EO, but do you have any thoughts or any any feedback? Well, uh, yeah, not on EO in particular, but just general, any sort of general advisory kind of service or even ideas you might be getting from strawman or whatever. I always, and I, I say it a lot, I know, but I'll say it again, which is you can borrow an idea, but you can't borrow the conviction. So yeah. I always think that what, what is always a really good idea is to absolutely it's great you signed up to a service they've given you some tips that's brilliant but mm-hmm. but don't stop there i, I actually <laughs> right. yeah. do you know i, I mean yeah, not, i mean point. a lot of people do it because well frankly they don't have the time or perhaps they, they, the expertise or yeah. whatever they, yeah. so they're, they're paying for a service for, to, to outsource like in the same way that you might get someone to mow your lawn or, or whatever so so i get that but i also would say that i think you get immense you there is huge value in taking that idea and then and then taking ownership of it. So, yep. so um, taking the time to understand well, what's the rationale? But these these guys have recommended this. Why do I mm-hmm. agree with it? You know, mm-hmm. l- let, let's spend a bit of time reading over. Maybe there's a prospectus that I can read. Maybe there's uh, some some annual mm-hmm. reports mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. really familiarizing yourself. And and it's absolutely okay to disagree mm-hmm. with what the guys at EO are saying. You know, it's like, I get what you're saying, but it's not for me. But what, what you'll find is is that when when you build your own conviction, it gives you that fortitude to sit through the tough mm-hmm. times, which will almost, well, they've, they've happened in this instance, but they'll almost certainly happen. Um, uh, and it just, it, you'll also, you'll also, learn to be a better investor as you go through that process it's 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 like the old you know give give mm, someone a, mm, a fish mm. and they'll eat for a day teach them the fish and they'll they'll never be hungry yeah, again right. kind of thing yeah. so i think yeah. one um and i know i actually know a lot of professional investors very experienced investors and they subscribe to a whole range of things and they do it just for mm-hmm. ideation just for, for, for just 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 to as a filter of sorts to basically oh, yeah. say yeah. i'm not going i'm not going to you know god knows i just certainly don't buy everything in fact i, I know some guys <laughs> who have subscribed to things they haven't bought anything that they've ever recommended yeah, but yeah, they love yeah. it as an idea generation factory yeah, nice. um, but 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 then it's then it's sort of it sounds really harsh but then it's kind of it's it's on you 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 want mm-hmm. to Build your own conviction, so you can you can have that the the right fortitude to sit sit with it, or to think actually these guys are, are just being pig-headed at this point potentially, and no, I'm out. I, I you know maybe it's going to get worse. So so try and try and take ownership of the idea, get the idea, but then take ownership if you can. Like it, there you go. Um, again, like I said, if, if it is not for you, by all means, go and do something else. Um, hopefully, uh, to Andrew's point, you, you know not only, not only develop your own. Um, 
develop your own uh, commitment and, and conviction. But also, if you're going to be a member of a service and follow the service, you kind of need to buy into what the service is trying to do. Um, you know, if, if you, I, I run ShareAdvisor. If you're going to buy ShareAdvisor and, and you're trying to, going to use it to make money in the next month, then it's not going to work for you. Like it's really, and you're going to say that's a terrible service. You didn't make any money for me. I'm like, well, you waited a month, and you, you know, we, we just we don't offer that. We can't promise that. We can't try that. We don't do that. So you need to also align with the service philosophy um, or the investment philosophy you're you're choosing to uh, be part of. And realistically, if you're expecting them to do things a different way, um, for example, we had some members at Share Advisor who said, uh, "Look, you guys pick these stocks, but they've gone down. You should be picking stocks that go down." Like, well, I understand if you don't want to pick stocks that go down as an investor, but know that that's not how I invest. You know, so, so you know, I, I, that, that's not what we're going to do. You know, and they, they, they would say, well, you should, because there are members here who would say, like, that's fine, but I, I can't do it that way. I'm giving you the best advice I can based on what I know the way I invest, which is the way I think I'm best able to add value. If you don't like it, that's completely cool. Um, but to join it and then say it should be different is kind of just, it, you're not going to make... Um, you know, you're not going to make it different, and, and you need to, to some degree, either choose to buckle up and and kind of go for the ride, or or maybe get off the ride if it's not for you. And I, again, if that's the case, Robert, I hope you don't leave us. But if you do, that's completely cool. If that's right for you, because um, you'd be better off if that's your investing style to invest the way you're comfortable. But we we can't won't do do things differently. Not to be stubborn, just because we've got a great team who invest really well. I think a certain way. Um, I could not be a high growth investor tomorrow. It's not my thing. I wouldn't, those guys running extreme opportunities probably aren't going to be great if we put them in charge of a dividend service, for example, because it's not their thing. Um, and so that's just kind of the way this works out. Um, Ram, question from Robert asks a second question. He says, one more question. What are your thoughts on the quality ETF, QLTY? More generally, I think it would be a great idea to hear your thoughts on some of the best ETFs on the ASX. Now, I'm going to I'm gonna grab the, the second question first, mate. Um, Robert, you sent this email, the question a little while ago. We've talked about ETFs in a couple, over a couple of weeks. I think I've answered most of my thoughts, but I'll share them again just really quickly. I won't spend too much time on them. Uh, first point I would make is I don't love non-index ETFs, generally speaking. I don't buy gold ETFs. I don't buy tech ETFs. I don't buy um, cybersecurity ETFs. I don't buy esports ETFs. Um, we've talked about before, and Ram, you said the same thing if you know enough to be confident enough to buy the ETF, you probably know enough to pick the stocks. Um, buying just on themes might work for you, but if that theme is already overvalued, um, for example, if you bought the tech theme in 1999, even though the theme was right, technology did take over the world, the shares were so stupidly overpriced, you lost a fortune over the remaining 15 years. And so I would, I would actively encourage people not to buy thematic ETFs unless you understand the value proposition of the companies within those ETFs. So when you say, what are my favorite ones? I'm going to go back to a couple I own, a couple I don't. Um, I would buy happily buy a NASDAQ ETF. Um, those businesses are, I think, reasonably valued, growing quickly and are literally inventing the future. I would buy a Vanguard Global ETF. VGS is the code on that one. Um, it gives you the rest of the world exposure. I don't invest in the UK, in Europe, in Asia. That's a great one to own. I, I own the Asian Tigers ETF. And again, to my mind, exposure to markets. I don't own any other shares in and for whose companies are probably going to be successful and the biggest and best there. I think are probably a good thing to own for diversification and upside opportunity. Um, they're probably the, again, they're really boring, broad index ETFs, right? I don't love the Australian market ETFs actually because it's 50% banks and miners. So actually, as much as I love index ETFs, I don't love, I wouldn't recommend people buy an Australian only, ETF, buy with, with other stuff, buy a NASDAQ or a, a World or an SP500 ETF, for example, IVV is the code for the S&P 
500. Um, and maybe add some Australia to that if you want, but I wouldn't want people to only be in an Australian ETF necessarily um, as the best investment idea. If, if you want to do it just for pure diversification, hands off, knock yourself out. If you're saying what are the best ones, I can't put that one in my best list. But as I said, I'd be, I'd be more than happy for people to buy it just to have the, the broad market exposure. What are your thoughts, mate? Best ETFs on the ASX? Um, yeah, I, I tend to go for the, the broad-based ones too. I, I agree with everything you said there. Um, so when it comes to... QLTY. So this is yeah. a global fund, uh, 150 stocks, and they they have these metrics that they use to. So it's basically an index fund, but they've kind of got their own way of constructing the index. So you look for high return on equity and profitability, low leverage, good earning stability, uh, all things that that seem to make a lot of sense. And the historical performance since I think it's been around since 2019 looks like pretty decent yep. actually. Um, so they got yeah. yep. they got companies like uh, Nvidia, they've got Facebook, Alphabet, uh, mm-hmm. Roche, mm-hmm. you know, some SA, uh, SAP uh, in there. Um, yeah, so it, it's I would find it very um, unusual that you're, you're ever going to do too badly when you've got 150 companies that have been selected on that on that basis. Yeah, I just don't think it's 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 probably not going to dis- differ markedly from a from a lot of these broad based ETFs. Yeah. Uh, anyway, here's here's my I'm gonna put my cynic hat on again. <laughs> so ETFs have become a phenomenon, and for all of the right reasons, right? They're really mm-hmm. great. They're a really great vehicle. The, the trouble is, is that the investment bankers, mm. being investment bankers, have gone, whoa, here's something that we can package up and sell. And so <laughs> right. every second day, yep. there's a new yep. ETF that's launched and they all sound good because they, they're marketed to sound good. And I'm not saying they're not or they're not necessarily good, but it's it's just sort of like, you know, I, I get the idea. It's sort of like, I want to, mm. I, I like ETFs. I like the broad-based appeal of it. I like the low effort component of it. I like that they're mm. focusing mm. on these kinds of companies. It's all, it's all, it's all good and well, but it's sort of like they're, they all sound good. Have I told your, you before there's more ETFs in the US than there are individual stocks now? Yeah, you have. Yeah. That's it's, bizarre, it's, isn't it? It's fascinating, and I, I really, I really buy into your view as well. Is that when you've got mm, mm. to a level where you've got a, a really high conviction on certain areas, and so, so they've yeah. said like we like earning stability, we like higher return on equity, and we like you know these kinds of things. Like, well, you can mm, kind mm. of just do it yourself to some degree, and then you're not paying these guys point three of point three five percent of your of your money to to do that for you. Um, but look, at the same time. I, I would never say, yeah, sell out. It's terrible. It's not. It's, I'm sure it's a perfectly adequate ETF. Yep. I'm in the same, I'm in the same boat exactly as you, mate. I Look, 0.3 is not expensive, but if you can buy an index ETF in the US for 0.04, something to charge you 0.35 is literally charging almost nine times as much. Now, small percentages, but you're literally paying nine times the price. And the question for you is, does that offset? No, you're not, it's not nine. You don't have to do a nine-time return. Of course, it's a percentage. So, you know, you have to, we'd have to outperform the index by 0.3% every single year just to hold even. If you underperform or don't perform by less than that, you're, you're behind. If you're a little bit more than that, well, you're ahead, but you know, you, without knowing in advance, is it worth the risk that you might possibly outperform by a bit? That's a question for you to answer. To your point, Andrew, I actually had a really quick just eyeball the numbers. The five-year return's been 16.7% a year for the index. The, so the ETF's only been around for three years, but the index itself has been around longer than it's based on. Um, the US market's about 105% up over five years. Break that back, okay, that's probably 15-ish percent a year. That's kind of the same number, right? I mean, it's, you know, this ETF's done a little bit better. So, you know, if it was going to keep doing better, then great. 
Will it keep doing better? I'm just not sure it will. I, I, I like the... I like Well, so he, here's what I like. I like the return on equity focus. I think it makes sense. Uh, but you're going to miss growing companies that aren't profitable, for example. So you wouldn't have Amazon in this one. And we've already talked about the fact that it's returned spectacularly over the last you know, 25 years. Uh, debt to capital. Okay, I probably don't... I don't know there's many times when high debt companies are better than low debt companies. So I'd agree with that. Earning stability. I'm not sure that earning stability is the thing you necessarily want. Um, because if it's stable earnings, then that, that's, that's a, probably a mature business. If it's probably a mature business, it's probably well understood by the market. If it's well understood by the market, it's probably fairly priced. So where's the upside? So, you know, again, I, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I, I, I think it's a perfectly fine. If you're going to buy it, I would not try and talk you out of it. Uh, but I wouldn't buy it. I'd happily just buy an index ETF and save the, save the fees and get the market return. I think, I think that's what I'd go. Mm. Fair to say? Yep. Yeah, but again, just at the same time, I I, I think it's it's a perfectly adequate e- 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 ETF. You just where where I I find it a bit strange with with what some people do is they'll hold twenty ETFs, and it's sort of yeah. like the level yeah. of diversification there and effort. It just sort of someone who buys just the one market e- ETF probably do just as well and have a much easier life. So <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. That's it, mate. We're done for this week. Thank okay. you, fools, for listening to our market our mailbag. <laughs> Motley for Money, mailbag. I'm in the ETF land at the moment. Podcast, we appreciate you spending some time with us this Sunday. We hope you've enjoyed it as ever. Please do send us your questions, feedback and suggestions. I've given you the normal Twitter handles. I'm not going to save you that from, from that this week. I'm just going to say you know where to find us. Jump on Twitter, look up Scott Phillips, look up Andrew Page, look up the Motley Fool, look up Strawman. You will find us uh, Instagram or Facebook, just myself and the Motley Fool, but you'll find us there as well. In the meantime, we will see you next week for a regular mailbag and then this time next week mate we'll come back from the mailbag what do you reckon I'm always keen mate always keen plenty of good stuff in store see you then full on see you then the motley fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned general advice only please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple m the motley fool operates under financial services license 400691